Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Billy Humphrey, the director of Gate City Church, shares a word on self-pity. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Okay, I want to go ahead and turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I had somebody grab me the other day and said, Hey, Billy, you going to the gym, man? I was like, do I look like I've been at the gym? And he's like, well, come on, new year, new you. New year, new you. But that kind of stuck with me. New year, new you. I think that the beginning of the year gives us all a chance to be like, hey, wait a minute. What have I been doing? How have I been living that I'm not cool with? And what do I want to change? And the beginning of the year, it's just a natural inflection point where we think, okay, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to live differently? What am I going to change? And it's not just about changing something. It's about this, thinking about who do you want to be? Who do you want to be this year? What do you want to be like? What's your dream of you? What's God's dream of you? What, is, what are the things God's put in your heart to be like? Don't let me just throw that question in the air. I want you to actually think about that. What kind of character, what kind of, you know, what kind of actions, what kind of attitude, what kind of relationship with the Lord, friends? What, what do you see for yourself? I was talking to my sons the other day, and they said, man, this whole generation, the whole sense of humor is trolling. Any, do we have any professional trolls in the room? Undoubtedly. <clears throat> okay, so the thing about trolling is people from my generation, we don't get that. We're like, what's, what's your problem? You know, people just say junk to you to try to get you frustrated because they think it's funny. And so they, they brought up this thing that at one of their jobs, the, the boss put out a thing and it said, hey, caption this. And it was a picture of a man making a funny face. And somebody was like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Like that was the caption. And then one of my sons put up Ooga Booga as the caption. And then they begin to expound to me how Ooga Booga was the perfect caption. And I literally had to, had to like get a 20-minute go to school on why Ooga Booga was perfection. It's, it's, it's this troll sense of humor, right? It's just troll the, whole, troll the whole idea by putting a stupid caption on there. That's obviously hilarious because it's so stupid. And he just trolled even the person asking the joke. I, I never laughed. I went, uh-huh, okay. I think I understand. Interesting. And then one of them said, it's because my whole generation is nihilistic. Do y'all, do y'all know what nihilistic is or nihilism? It's just 
it's the, it's the mentality that everything is negative and it's going down the tubes and nothing matters anyway. So just screw it. Ooga booga. And you, could, you see that thing come out in like the troll sense of humor, but even so many people's sense of like, what's tomorrow going to bring you? What's, what's your future going to be? And you, and you just get into this mindset of it's just going to suck because that's what's filling the air. It's negative. It's going to suck. What's the easiest thing to do right now? If you don't like something, complain. Hit it. Get, get, turn into a keyboard gangster or a phone tap gangster and just hit it on the internet. Post everything you think. And just go negative. Just go take it south. And that's like, that's like getting rooted in you guys' generation. And I just want to say, like, you don't have to be like that. You don't have to be that way. So what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Think about that. What do you want to change? So I want to give you something. So 2 Timothy 3 is a really interesting chapter. And I'm, and I'm, I'm asking you, what do you want to be like? I'm wanting you to dream again because I think so many times we've forgotten that dreaming is it's fun, it's healthy, it's good. And uh, expecting good things. It's what we're, we're, we're called to do. We're, we're called to hope and expect. And um, 2 Timothy 3, it's a pretty negative chapter, but it shows the attacks that the enemy releases and is releasing in the earth right now and why things are nihilistic, why things are negative, why troll sense of humor is a big deal and why people have the mindsets that they have. It's a really interesting thing. So 2 Timothy 3, Paul prophesies and he explains that at the end of the age, there are 19 trends that are going to fill the whole earth. Now just think about this. He wrote this in the first century, but he's writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and there's 19 trends that are going to fill the planet. It's going to be the way that people conduct themselves at the end of the age. It's going to be prevailing mentalities. Let's just read it. Verse 1, he says, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come. Here we go, 19 of them. Here we are. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. 19 trends that describe what's going to fill the atmosphere at the end of the age and the generation that the Lord returns. What's interesting about this list to me is that the first one on the list seems completely weird. I, I would think if you were going to say there's all this junk that's going to fill people's minds and fill people's actions and fill people's attitudes, like I would think, man, what is it going to be? It's going to be like, like murder, you know, or 
whatever. Just, just come up with the worst sin, you know. And he says this. He goes, it's going to be perilous. So I go, oh, dang. What does that mean? Perilous. Like, this is going to, it's going to get savage. It's going to be horrible. What is it? It's got to be, it's like, it's got to be like the worst sin anybody could think of. First one's got to be the biggie. He goes, yep, it's going to be perilous. I go, well, what is it? He goes, men will be lovers of themselves. And a little bit, when you just blow through it, you go, wah, wah. Like, that wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> what do you mean, lovers of themselves? Like, that's a bad one. He goes, oh, yeah, it's, it is horrendous. And I go, huh. Men will be lovers of self. That is describing the perilous times and the generation the Lord returns. And I remember years ago digging into this and going, why is that one so bad? Why is murder not the first one on the list or some kind of, you know, really disgusting perversion on the list? Or, you know, why is it lovers of self? That seems so bizarre. And the Lord began to have to just, like, instruct me on what this is even talking about. We don't ever say that. We never say, man, that person is a lover of self. No one would ever say that as a negative thing. There's a term we use that's different. Anybody know it? Narcissism. Narcissism. Now we got it, because we've all got our Google psychology degrees, and we know narcissism, and we know narcissistic personality disorder, or at least know it's a thing. But I want you to think about this just for a minute. For it to be the top of the list, for it to be the most, I think it's the most severe one. I think everything else builds off of this. Lovers of self, I want, I want you to think about this, this issue of narcissism, what that actually does to a person, and how it, it, it'll, it will render you completely useless. It will render you completely helpless and useless. Someone who's dealing with this thing, they have a, a really intense entitlement mentality. They think I deserve better or I deserve more in basically every area. They constantly feel like they're getting done wrong. Now, just think about this. 2023 United States, the richest country that's ever lived, ever in the history, richest ever, the most comfortable, the most technologically advanced, and I think the biggest complainers we've ever seen on the planet ever. Why? Because at the end of the age, men will be lovers of self. And when they're lovers of self, they're self-entitled. And they're always thinking, I deserve more than what I'm getting. I deserve better than what I'm getting. It's not fair. It's not right. I've been done wrong. That was, a, that was a double secret microaggression you just did. And I'm offended. 
So they're, they're self-entitled, they're self-absorbed. Nice, happy message now. This isn't one of those messages also, by the way. This isn't one of those when you go, oh, yeah, I know somebody like that. I wish they were here to hear this. They're so self-absorbed. <clears throat> no, don't, don't, don't play like deflector shield Christianity right this second. Like just let it, if it hits you, if the shoe fits, just go ahead and just eat it. Just wear it. Entitled, self-absorbed. Self-absorbed just simply means this. You walk into a room, and who's the most important person in there? Me. I, just, I usually just do this simple thing. This is a good way to measure whether or not you've got a little self-absorption going. When you walk into a room, do you think, here I am, or there you are? Most of us think, here I am. And that's a good sign you're self-absorbed. If self is the most important person in the room, that's a sign of being self-absorbed. Self-gratified. Someone who's self-gratified, they're most interested in what makes them happy. Entitled, absorbed, self-gratified. I deserve more. I'm the most important person in here, and I'm most interested in what makes me happy with selfish ambitions. And selfish ambitions just means I'm going to put the most energy into getting what I want. Now, this, the reason why this is so wicked and so evil is this is exactly the opposite of Jesus. And it's the exact opposite of Christianity. But it's so filled the air in our society that it's like possessing Christians just as much as it's possessing the world. And we're falling prey to the very thing that Paul prophesied 2,000 years ago. This is going to be the worst temptations that's going to hit the planet. It's all these things at the end of the age. It's going to be perilous, and we're falling prey to it because we're not aware of what the Scripture says, and we're not wise to the enemy's devices. Am I making sense? James 3 says this. He goes, if you have bitter jealousy... Jealousy is just another way to say that you feel entitled to have what somebody else has. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. He said, this is wisdom that does not come from above, but it's earthly, natural, it's demonic. Demonic. Selfish ambition gets you into league with the devil. You're like, I just, I just wanted... I just wanted those Jordan 4s. I didn't, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to like serve the devil. I just wanted, this, just wanted those J's, that's all. <laughs> I don't want no J's. I don't want no J's. <laughs> I, don't want no, I don't want no Jordan 4s. But when you're going for self, when you, are, when you feel like self deserves more, you shouldn't have been treated that way. I, 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 should, be, I should be treated better. I, I, should, I should receive more. I should have gotten more. You are playing right into this thing. 
where self is at the center, self is the most important, self is who you want to please, and self is who you work for pleasure for. He says that ends you up being led by demonic energy. Man. So then I go back to Paul and I go, dang, Paul, men will be lovers of self. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Okay. The next one is greed. He goes, men will be lovers of money. And and obviously, if you are self-absorbed, self-motivated into self-gratification and you're greedy, you know what you will do? You'll absolutely kill that person. Like it's, like you see how these things on the inside end up manifesting in the most heinous things on the outside. I have a friend, and he uh, he used to be a, a male prostitute, a homosexual male prostitute, and he's married, delivered of homosexuality, married, got children, and he's in the ministry now. He's a worship leader. He's on the radio. This dude leads outreaches. Amazing, amazing guy. His story was so intense. When he first showed up, he actually came to the first internship we ever had way, way back in 2004. And when he first showed up, he still had a bank account with a man. And I remember in the middle of the internship, I remember one day I was sitting there in the prayer room and there was just like one person up just playing some little lullaby, devotional worship songs to Jesus. And I hear, I can hear behind me somebody going like, like, it's like, I'm hearing like banging, and then I hear like, and then like banging, and I'm like, what the crap is happening? I'm like, I'm like, I love you, Lord. Like, what is happening in the prayer room? And I turn around, and he is frying like a piece of bacon on the floor. He's manifesting a demon. And he's like, and then all of a sudden, another one of like our 21-year-olds comes like, ah, come out of it, like screaming. Like we got one person like, Lord, I lift your name on high. And it's like, ah, I'm like, what the crap? I just wanted to write notes on the love of God. And it's like, ah, and he just goes flat. And I remember just like, dude, what was that? And I asked him later, I said, what happened? He goes, I just got delivered. Well, you just got delivered? He goes, I just got delivered. I go, all right. So fast forward, married, kids, life's awesome, whatever. And I remember we were talking one time, this is after he's married, and he was doing some ministry stuff, and we were doing this meeting together, and I remember asking him, hey, when you got delivered, when you went through that deliverance and, and all that came out of you, what, was, what happened to you? What happened to you? And uh, he said, he goes, this is wild. He goes, my appetites and my desires changed after I got delivered. He goes, and I do believe there was a homeless, like a spirit of homosexuality, like attacking me, like messing with my desires. He goes, but that wasn't the most evil thing. I said, okay, you were a male prostitute in clubs getting pimped out by the owner. What are you talking about? He said, the most evil thing was self-pity. Tied to narcissistic love of myself. 
tied to an entitlement mentality. Because self-pity was causing me to be self-absorbed and self-gratifying and going after everything for myself instead of laying my life down for somebody else, coming to know the love of Jesus and laying my life down for him. And I mean, I'm just getting schooled up by the guy who is completely in the lifestyle, who got radically encountered and came out. And this is his testimony, so don't get mad at me. This is his testimony. He said, self-pity was the thing that was negatively the most, he said it's the most evil thing, and it was impacting me the most. And I thought, man, dude. And I've watched over the years, so many years, of being a pastor and leader, I've watched self-pity take people out faster than almost anything. And here's what happens. When you're narcissistic and you don't get what you want, self-pity comes to the door and goes, woe is you, you poor thing. Nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. You deserve better than this. Why don't you just go do whatever your heart wants to do? Why? Are you new here? <laughs> good. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> First time visitor. <laughs> like the weirdest place ever. A guy was stroking my face. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was. It was lulling him into this entitlement that he should just go ahead and get, get whatever his lusts were telling him he needed. He said self-pity was the most evil thing. And I was just like, man, dude, I've watched it over the years. This, this thing that comes on people. I've seen it in the church, out of the church, it doesn't matter. Where self-pity becomes the hero for the person who's narcissistic because you feel like you've been done wrong and self-pity goes, that's right. You've been done wrong. You deserve better. And all of that is so distant from biblical Christianity. It's so distant. Those mentalities are so distant. Um, and I was thinking about Christianity and Christians and what people sign up for when they say yes to Jesus. And that brings me to this point. What did you sign up for when you said yes to Jesus? Because, And I'm assuming most in here are Christians, and maybe you're not, and that's okay. That's awesome. You're here, and you're just checking it out. We love that. But if you have said yes to Jesus, what were you saying yes to? Because I find the distance, the gap between our expectations and our experience is the place where complaint and offense begins to brew. And that's the place where self-pity works. The gap between our expectations and our experience. And so often when people signed up to serve Jesus, they said yes to serve Jesus, right? And they had all these big expectations that, and it didn't go the way they thought, they get offended in there. And so often self-pity just fills that gap. And I've watched 
Christians over the years, I've watched, I've watched preachers, I've, watched, I've, seen, I've been to so many services, but I've watched gospel presentations where we invite people to come to Jesus, but we're not inviting them to reorient their whole life around Jesus. We're asking them to add Jesus to their life like a self-help guru who's just going to make everything better. And we never ask them to get out of the center and put Jesus at the center. We just say, no, he's really going to bless you. He loves you. It's, it's really going to make your life better. If you'll just come to Jesus, things will get easier and you'll be happy and joy. And self stays at the center and Jesus is an add-on and it really, really helps to serve a narcissistic culture. Because now Jesus, well, he's my, he's my lucky rabbit's foot. He's my lucky charm. And so when I need help, I just pray and Jesus helps. Because Jesus is my guru. And we end up living a life, hear me now, where we walk around with Jesus in our pocket and we will keep him in our pocket when it's inconvenient and then we pull him out when he's acceptable. If your life orients around him, you're going where he's going. He's not going where you're going. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Just think about the way that we treat Jesus when we're in a crowd that doesn't really think Jesus is awesome. I'm not saying you got to run in there like, Jesus in your face, Jesus in your face, Jesus. You don't have to do that. <laughs> it's a little intense. <laughs> it's like my old like rock and roll days. But do you just pocket Jesus when he's unpopular in a group? We have this awesome internet wall, social media wall we all get to hide behind. When you're anonymous on the internet, are you a Christian? Or are you your alter ego self that you really want to tell some people some things sometimes? I've got a little burner. I do. Got a burner account. Don't try to find it. And I got convicted that sometimes I'm a little, I got a little bit more of an attitude on my burner. It's not, it's not BillyHumphrey.com Instagram. Little quotes of all my messages. It's a little bit like, hey, dude, you're a, <laughs> I never cussed anybody out. But then I realized, wait a minute, if I am even in a burner account, if Jesus isn't who I am, then Jesus isn't the center of my life. I am. And that's what I think we got to take inventory of for 2023. Who do you want to be this year? You want to go a whole another year with Jesus as your mascot? Our little Christian mascot that when it's cool and there's a lot of fans around, we can bring him out. I went to the Georgia-Tennessee game. How many, any dogs fans? Come on. We're about to win the national championship again, guys. Come on. Please. But I went to the Georgia-Tennessee game. It was the wildest environment, 93,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs. I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by a sea of people wearing red, and there was a dude two seats over from me, and that nasty, disgusting puke orange... Tennessee? Uh, yeah. That's Texas. That's good. You're good. We'll just leave it there. 
And I was like, I better not. Okay, I just stepped in it. That dude, every little positive thing that Tennessee did, he was like, whoa, yeah, boy, ah, he was like screaming. I was like, oh, it is on now, dude. I am about to scream at the top of my lungs. I was yelling at that guy the entire game. Until the finally, like in the fourth quarter when the game was over, he had like his head down. I was like, hey, bro, you've been a good fan. You're a good dude. Hey, it's all good. Love you, dude. He's like, uh. I was like, go, go dogs. <laughs> I'm telling this story for a purpose, but now I can't remember what it is. Yes! That dude, for all the ridiculous thoughts that I had in my mind about this guy being a Tennessee fan in the middle of all the Georgia fans, that dude was, co he was covered in Tennessee gear. He had a checkerboard orange and white set of overalls on. My, my guy was like full on. He didn't hide his allegiance when he was in a crowd that was negative. And I, had, I just had mad respect for that guy. But that's when you know if Jesus is at the center or if self is at the center. Because Jesus is only popular for you when he's convenient. And I'm just going to say, like, we cannot have a generation of Christians that lives like that. That is, it just can't be. I'm not saying you've got to go shout everybody down that does every anti-Christian thing. No, that's not the point either. You love people. You care for people. You're gentle and patient. And, and, and man, you're long-suffering, and you, you bear along with people. And, and you know what? When they persecute you, you count it joy. Like, you, you live positively and kind, but you don't pocket Jesus just because it's unpopular. It's self-centered Christianity. It's narcissism. Rather, it's like when we got saved, rather than going through this upheaval that reorients our existence around Jesus, we've added Jesus on as like this means to greater self-gratification. Jesus is my ticket to more happy. Jesus is my ticket to more blessing. I remember when I was in India and we did this <clears throat> pastor's conference, there's four or five hundred pastors in there. And some, some, um, some unbelievers came to the meeting just because there's a thing and they just want to come. And I remember this, this uh, person comes up to me, this woman comes up to me at the end of the meeting. And I said, man, do you know Jesus? And, and she was like, no. I go, do you want to receive Jesus? He loves you. He will save you. He'll deliver you from your sin. Do you, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? She goes, yes. I'm like, oh, yeah. That was so easy. I go, pray with me right now. You're going to get born again. Jesus is going to come into your life. You're going to you make him your Lord and Savior. It's going to completely change everything. She goes, okay. And I pray with her, and she instantly prays with me to say yes to Jesus. I turn around. I go, hey, to the missionary guy that we were there with, I go, hey, guess what? I just led that lady to Jesus. He goes, actually, bro, you didn't. I go, what are you talking about? I totally did. I totally did. He goes, no, she's a Hindu. And she doesn't think you've just asked her to say no to all the other gods in her life and yes to Jesus. She thinks you've just invited her to add Jesus to all the other gods that she already worships. I was like, no. 
But then I thought about it. How many people in America do the very same thing? We just add Jesus to whatever else it is we're doing. Make me happier. Make me more blessed. And so the whole narcissism thing, the whole self-pity thing, being self-absorbed, this thing is lethal. It's deadly. When self is at the center, expectations go unmet. Self-pity is the immediate response. If you're always feeling sorry for yourself, you're always thinking, I deserve better. I've been done wrong. This isn't fair. You really might need the Lord to move into that place where you've allowed self to be at the center. You really might need to move self out and move Jesus in. Let's look at this and we'll wrap up. Matthew 20. It's a, it's a parable that y'all know, probably. But it's one that I think the emphasis is on the wrong thing. Or let me just say it this way. I'm seeing a different, different emphasis the more I've looked at it lately. The emphasis is on a different syllable. How many have no idea why I just said that? Y'all caught it? Okay, a couple didn't. Okay, good. It was just dumb. Okay, good. I should have said ooga booga. It would have been like, oh, 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 oh. All right. All right, watch this. All right, Jesus, he's all these parables. He says, this is what the king of heaven is like. Tons of parables. And he says, this is what the king of heaven is like. He's always telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. This is what it's like, okay? This is another one. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let's read it. Verse 1, if you got your Bible, look at it with me. I'm in the New King James. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's just one day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard. So this is like sun up. This is like the beginning of the day. So they're going to work all day. They're going to work till about sundown. They're going to get a day's wage. Fair enough, right? Fair enough. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour. So three hours later, saw others standing idle in the marketplace, said to them, hey, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I'll give that to you. So they went. They're like, sweet, we got a job. Verse 5, again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour. And did likewise. And about the 11th hour, so we got a 12-hour day, he's 11 hours in. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been here standing idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. Verse 8, so when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers, give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. They worked one hour and got a full day's wage. That's awesome. If you're that guy, you're like, oh, this is amazing. 
Verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. Everybody say supposed. They supposed they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained. Everybody say complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Woe is me. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish to do with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So often when this parable is taught, it's em- the emphasis is on how generous Jesus is and how he will give the last the same as the first. And he's, he's so good. But to me, the meat of this thing is about the dudes that got offended with the landowner. They complained against him because they had supposed something. They made an assumption based on what the other guys were getting paid, and their assumption led them to an expectation that was unmet. And when their expectation was unmet, that gap between their expectation and their experience, right in there, they begin to complain and grumble, and they begin to get into self-pity. We've borne the heat of the day. Well, wait a minute. Did y'all start at 6 a.m.? Were y'all thinking you were going to work all day? Didn't we agree for one day's wage and that you would work all day long? So you knew at the beginning you were going to bear the heat of the day. Why is this now an accusation? Why is this a problem? Well, I'll tell you why it's a problem. It's a problem because the dudes that showed up at the 11th hour, they got paid ultimately 12 times what the dudes that showed up at the first hour got paid. They got 12 times more. They worked one-twelfth of the, of the amount of the other guys. And so they got a massive blessing, 12 times. I mean, shock and awe. But the other guys, they got what they were promised, and they were offended. Here's what we do often in Christianity. We point to the dude that got the 12 times blessing And we go, that's what Christianity is. It's crazy. It's the lottery. You work one hour, you get a whole day. Ah! And that happens sometimes. But that's not really what we're promised. We're promised a few things in this life. You know what we're promised? More grace when we humble ourselves. More fellowship when we suffer. Nobody said that's good. That's Philippians 3.10, the fellowship of his sufferings. We, we get closer to him and we know him more when we suffer. In fact, if we suffer, he says, the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. That's what Peter said. More grace when we humble ourselves, more knowledge and intimacy with God when we suffer And then the vast majority of the rest of the promises in the New Testament point to the age to come. Eternal life, all sorts of different things. We're promised peace in the midst of storms. That's available to us. But you got to have storms. 
Here's our problem. Most of us signed up for 12 times a denarius, and we were only ever promised one. And so when Jesus isn't, you know, dealing out all the denariuses to us, we're like, what the heck? And we assume things about him that he never promised, because in the West, we've, we've offered people a Christianity that is cotton candy. It's, it's not legit. It's not biblical. We've promised this, this idea of, of grace without accountability, of ease without any challenge. And so at the first sign of difficulty, what do we say? It's so hard. And dude, that is like toxic. Because the gap between your experience and your expectation is where that thing, it's so subtle and sly, that self-pity, complaining, offended heart, it grows right in that gap. And you get exposed in how much you are at the center instead of Jesus being at the center. Because if Jesus is at the center, I love him no matter what. I love him no matter what. He's my only, he's my always, he's my every. And just hear me. Just look at me. Is he your only, your always, and your every? You're only, you're always, and you're every. Because if somehow he's less than that, you will trade him off for self-gratification in a heartbeat when the opportunity is right. We sing the songs of only, always, and every, but man, guys, let's just be honest. We live the lives of self. And it shouldn't be this way. Because he's worth it, isn't he? Isn't he? His cross is worth it. His blood is worth it. His eternity, his deity is worth it. He's worth it. And so when I find myself getting in a funk over difficulty, because I do, I get into funks sometimes. I get into difficulty sometimes. I start taking inventory on the inside, and I go, what is this? What is this funk? Yeah, the situation is difficult, but what's going on in my soul that's making me feel so negative and down and like I deserve more? And then I go, oh, I'm entitled. I'm self-centered. Oh, I only want what makes me happy. Oh, I'm only looking at things in the one-step perspective instead of in the eternal perspective. And man, when I'm in that place, I'm no good for anybody. And I just think this. I think Jesus is worth getting self out of the way for. I think he's worth giving him our whole heart and trusting him where their life is just sucking or where their life is just like awesome, whether it's the heat of the day or the 12 times blessing. He's worth knowing and loving in that place. And where we, watch this, 
where we have offenses in our heart because how he's led us, I guarantee you it's because we expected something, but what we got isn't the same thing, and that gap in there is where that offense is brewing. Am I making sense? Maybe you are holy enough and you've got enough fear of God to not be offended with God, but you're really offended with that person. You're really offended with that leader. You're really offended with that person. And they are just not treating you right. Here's the thing. This is a real challenge, but it's really clear. When we're offended with our circumstances and the people in our circumstances, our offense doesn't stop with those people. We're actually offended with God. We just don't want to project it that far. We're offended that God's put us in this place with these people who are ticking us off. How could you lead me in this way? How could you put me in this situation? And I want to tell you something. There's this toxic thing of narcissism and self-pity, it will take you down this path of offense. It will kill you. In Matthew 24, it's really clear. In the end of the age, many will be offended. How? How did they get there? How did they get to offense? It says the love of many grows cold and many will be offended. How did they get there? Because they loved self more than they loved Jesus. Self was at the center. And so I'm talking to you guys. I'm, you know what? I'm just talking to you guys like a papa, like, hey, for real, don't live this way. If you're walking around complaining all the time, stop, like, stop. Because you're not complaining about your circumstance. You're complaining about God. And if you're complaining about the people, your parents, the teacher, the leader, the Casey, whoever, the Billy, if you're complaining about that person all the time, I guarantee you, your problem isn't with that person because God's the one that put that person in your life. So maybe take it up with the one who is directing the course of your life. Am I making sense? They complained against Moses. The children of Israel, they complained against Moses. Moses gets them out of slavery, the whole nation. They're crazy blessed. Yeah, they're in a desert. Okay. But they're not slaves anymore. Yeah, they don't know where the water is coming from. I get it. But they're not slaves anymore. Okay, they've never had meat. They're just getting their food rained down out of the sky. But they're not slaves anymore. And God parted the Red Sea and did 10 plagues on the strongest nation on the earth and brought them to nothing to deliver them. Why? To take them to Sinai to marry them. And on the way, it was so hard. And they complained against Moses. And the Lord says to Moses, hey, man, don't worry. They're actually, they're not complaining against you. They're complaining against me. The Lord took the people's complaints against Moses personally.
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.